the knitting is the thing and creating is what brings a group of people together to work together. And I absolutely adored the people I was meeting as I was teaching how to knit, people how to knit, and realized that it was kind of broadening my horizons in a way that I hadn't even anticipated that teaching would do. That was Laura Nelkin, knitwear designer known for her collection of knitting kits, self-published patterns, and mystery knit-alongs on this episode of the Power Pearls podcast, where you'll always hear candid conversations with everyday knitters and designers with compelling backstories. I'm Kara Gottwarner, editor of Creative Knitting Magazine, and I will dig deep and ask the big question, why did we start knitting? those needles going. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Power Pearls podcast. Today I'm chatting with designer Laura Nelkin, who lives in upstate New York, where the sunny season is short, leaving her plenty of time indoors to be creating, knitting, sewing, and whatever else she can dream up. Although Laura holds a degree in apparel design from Cornell University, she took to knitting years ago, and she just hasn't looked back since. Laura is currently enamored with knitting lace, and with incorporating beads into her knitted jewelry. So most of her designs lean in this direction. She travels often to teach at workshops around the country and through her online classes. Laura also has a a line of knitting kits. She self-publishes patterns. She runs a mystery knit-along multiple times a year. And she also has a book of her own published designs called Knockout Knits. And besides knitting, Laura sews many of her own garments. She hikes, she does hot yoga, she gardens, and she whips up yummy feasts with her family. Wow, it's amazing. Like what doesn't Laura do? Okay, so she is such a busy lady. And without further ado, Laura, I want to welcome you to the Power Pearls podcast. Hello, how are you? This is so exciting. So, girlfriend, let me let me talk about us for a second because we go back a ways together. Um, I've known you since about oh, I'd say about two thousand and eight ish or so. Um, we first worked together on a hardcover book that I was editing for Annie's, and I believe it was your first foray into designing. It was that's I mean that's so cool, and you know I feel really lucky to have watched you grow over the years. Uh, it's, you know, it's amazing to see how far you've come with your business and your designing and, um, you know, and, and to someone, you know, on the outside, it might look easy, you know, like how, you know, cause they're seeing you now and you're experiencing all this success, but I'm sure it was a lot of hard work. So can you take us back and share the story about your beginnings and, and how you got to where you are today? Sure. That's great. It's a tiny bit long, but I'll try to truncate it a little bit. So um, I was an apparel designer and a weaver, and I learned how to knit when my daughter was younger and ended up finding out that there was a hand-painted yarn company about six miles from my house called Schaefer Yarn. 
And I got in touch with them to see if I could do something. And when I met the owner, Cheryl, she was like, oh, I want you for your brain. Because I had a lot of industry experience in the apparel industry and craft industry. And I ended up working there and kind of creating a job as their design director. And when I started working there, I had never written a knitting pattern. I had knit other people's patterns, but I basically just learned as I went. And I think I did that because I didn't, I didn't have any fear and I didn't have anybody telling me I couldn't do it. I actually had people around me saying, oh, you can, you have this, you totally can do this, just go for it. And I started very simply designing things that I knew that the Schaefer line needed to help them sell yarn. And then I just started creating connections and growing connections and basically not really saying no to anything that came my way. I knew I could figure it out. Some things, probably the amount of hours I put in for the amount of financial compensation I got out wouldn't really make sense now for me if I looked at that. But then it was all about getting experience and um, just trying things on. And it was almost like throwing spaghetti at the wall and kind of seeing what stuck, right? Like what was the thing that was going to work? And that's kind of the way my whole business plan has been since then. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's like stepping stones, right? I mean, so sometimes it's like, you can't really see the whole staircase. I, I love that analogy. It's like you just have to jump in and use your best judgment. And, you know, you were learning the industry. And that's kind of how you had to look at that, uh, that experience, right? Yeah. What was nice about it is that I had a job while I was doing it. So it was guaranteed a certain bit of my income because I had like an hourly wage and was working for somebody. And that created a lot of security, I think, while I was trying all of this other stuff on to see what worked. Yeah. And so it gave you the opportunity to be free, right? I mean, with your creative uh, ideas, because, you know, when you're, <laughs> I mean, you're lucky now that you are on your own, you know, I mean, like you, you obviously you'll talk about that more and, and how much work that was to get where you are today, you know, but when you have the time you know, you've got the, the wage and you've, or the, you know, the, you got the paycheck, so to speak. And then you can do those things that really make you come alive and make you feel on fire and you can experiment. And so that, that was really, that's a lucky thing. And I think it's something that especially creatives, you know, uh, we really need to find those types of um, situations that will allow us to feel really free in our creativity. Totally. Really important. I try not to say yes to any opportunity that I think is going to become a chore. That um, That's not interesting to me anymore. I try to make sure that the things that I'm saying yes to are things that I'm going to be able to jump in with both feet and truly enjoy doing because knitting and designing takes a lot of time and there's, there's no point in not enjoying what you're doing especially, you know, if the if the financial piece isn't fabulous, then you really have to love it, mm -hmm. um, which I do wholeheartedly. That's great. And and so, you know, because yeah, you just said how hard it is. I mean, pattern writing is a humbling experience. I mean, it is not easy. It's not easy to do, you know, and uh, so how do you how do you deal with that? Or how do you kind of keep it fresh for yourself? Because I know, for me, when I was designing, I would design and then I would do some freeform stuff and kind of break away from the 
technical aspect of knitting. Do you, do you have sort of like something in place for yourself that lets that, that keeps it fresh and exciting? I do. I try to keep a certain number of projects going that are like my pet projects. They're they're for me and because they're right. they're because I really want to do them, not because they are going to like grow my business's bottom line or um you know, get me to that next place or whatever. They're just because I'm like, I want to design a sweater, even though I know it's going to take me six months and I'm going to have to do a photo shoot and I'm going to have to have, you know, six sizes tested, so much work, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to have such a good time doing that, that that is what is important to me. So I just try to make sure that I stay balanced and that I also make sure that I have creative time that is not about knitting. So that is where sewing has come in lately and cooking and gardening. Um, Even yoga for me has been really creative and fun lately and just making sure that I have those other outlets to explore that um, kind of like free my mind and aren't, aren't burdensome, if you will. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. Because when it comes to like exercising, because I love to run, I run every morning. And uh, I like to call it or you know, I love yoga too, by the way. And when I'm moving, it's you discover things that you don't you can't discover like about your designing or your business and things you get excited about. So I like to call it my conduit for creativity. (laughs) It's just, you know, because these things just emerge, you know, when when you're in that moment. And um, have you ever heard of this uh, phrase called blank canvas days? I, I heard this recently. It was actually another podcaster uh, mentioned this. I just love it because like keeping days, like you said, you have the pet project, right? So, um, but blank canvas days are, you know, the, those are days that you have nothing on your calendar. Like, so you can do whatever you want. And I have a really hard time with that, you know, because I'm always like, I should do this, you know, do all these things. But um, I think that could be like a really great way to kind of go off uh, on with these, you know, these projects, these new projects, you know, discover magical mistakes, uh, you know, do do yoga, do meditation, whatever. What do you think about that? Do you do kind of have days like that where you just I don't have f- days like that at home? I think that if I'm at home, and I'm pretty focused on like the work tasks, what we have that I would call my blank canvas days is travel. Um, and my family, my husband and I have always loved to travel. Ever, you know, when we met in our 20s, we started traveling together. So we take try to make sure that we take multiple breaks during the year where we go explore the world. And those um, end up being incredibly inspiring. And I do not work during that time. I just play and explore and learn and get into philosophical conversations with strangers. And I always come back so rejuvenated and excited and like ready for the next, you know, phase of work, if you will. That's kind of how I, um, one of the ways I recharge myself. Um, and so inspiring and fun. I would suggest it for anybody who's, who's enthralled by travel. That's great. I know when I'm on a plane, I just knit uh, like, you know, one of those kind of projects and, you know, cause you can't go anywhere. So it's like a great time to just focus on that one thing. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, um, okay. So I want to ask you now, was, was there a pivotal moment in your life that turned you on to knitting? Because I really feel that all knitters, you know, someone like if we go to a craft like knitting or crochet, you know, 
there's a story behind it, you know, like, and many of the times it, it has to do with loss, you know, or a change in life of some, some kind, but you know, maybe you don't have that as the reason that you turned to knitting, but it, you know, you know, maybe it's, you, you learned, you know, a lesson, you know, maybe you have a really big lesson that you, that it's taught you. So can you tell me that story? Yeah, I, um, for me, especially if you ask my mom, she, um, has always known me to be a maker. Like ever since I was like a toddler, I was like the crafter. She had all of these like crafting books for me and I'd constantly be pulling them out and looking for things to make. And very early on, I um, so I don't know if you remember those ribbon barrettes that people used to make in the um, 70s and 80s where you like wove ribbon into these like barrettes that had two strands of metal on them. And I was making them and she was selling them where she got her hair cut and ever, all the women were like buying them for the, her daughters. So I like became a production crafter very, very early on. And I always was doing something with my hands. Like I've always been a maker, whether it was in the kitchen or crafting, or then I got to got into weaving. I did a ton of beading and peyote stitch when I was a teenager. So knitting is really just like the next thing, right? I was sewing in there, the weaving that took up a bunch of years. I did a lot of dyeing for a little while. And really making is the thing that feeds me so incredibly and really um, enjoy doing it and need it. Like I think I get a little weird if I if I don't have that making creativity in my life. It's really an important piece. Yeah, it's it's kind of like, um, it's like food. It's not, it's like sustenance. I don't know. (laughs) It's not an option. Exactly. It's like brushing teeth or something. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, I can can completely relate to that. But I think also, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, you know, let's just say, you know, you, you, when you do deal with something that's painful, like does Mm -hmm. knitting come to the rescue? You know, is, is knitting, you know, has it been a refuge for you? In, in specific circumstances that maybe you can recall in your life recently? I'm trying to think. Um, I know that knitting is always with me. And I think that um, I haven't I haven't had any kind of like major traumas lately where I've needed to heal through knitting. I can certainly imagine how it could be an incredible force for that when necessary. I think one of the things that knitting does for me is it helps me be a really good friend who can listen really well. Um, So, you know, I can grab my knitting and I can be with a friend who's going through something and be incredibly present with them and able to, to really like listen and allow them to explore what it is they're going through without me being distracted or wanting to give my own opinion. Um, I think it just helps quiet everything else about me so that I can be like fully present and there, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, I like the phrase that you just used that it helps quiet you because yeah, there's something very meditative. There's very something, uh, there's something very um, powerful that brings you to the present when you're knitting, right? Doesn't it? I mean, because we're just racing ahead. Like, you know, I know I, I can do that. And you're thinking about the next thing. But there's, when you're knitting, you're very present. At least I know that's how I feel. Yeah, certainly I'm very present. And I mean, sometimes I wander off when I'm knitting and I can end up, you know, 
designing the next piece while I'm knitting on one piece because my brain is free to wander at that point. But that's also the joy of it is Hmm. getting to explore. Exactly. I mean, I really, uh, if I can, if I can, uh, give a message, you know, to the listeners out there, I mean, that's it. Uh, you know, I know that those mistakes that happen, those things that happen on the needles, just from knitting for the sake of knitting, Mm -hmm. uh, they're really magical and they, they, they help you to see something that, you know, you couldn't see before. And so, you know, I, I just think it's great to just pick up those needles and just not worry. I mean, if you make a mistake, I mean, what's the worst thing that you, you know, that's going to happen? I mean, your, your yarn's not going to disintegrate, right? No, you're going to have to rip it out. And I rip out my knitting all the time. And whenever I do, because I want something to be better I say that's great because I love knitting so of course I'm excited to knit more of this yarn right exactly exactly um so as a business a business owner uh you know what would you say is, is your biggest struggle right now oh not working all the time mm. um I'm blessed with the fact that I love to work And that I can't stop thinking about it and coming up with new ideas. But um, I think my biggest struggle is learning how to say no a little bit and not not taking on every opportunity that comes my way. And um, knowing to when to just stop and have it be okay to just stand around the kitchen and gab and not feel like I'm not working. I love that I work at home because I think that, you know, it's so easy to grab bits of work here and there, but then it's also got its challenges when you love to work because then your work is always right there looking you in the face, available to be worked on more. Oh, it's so true. And the fact that you work from home and you're a creative person. So, you know, it, it, the lines are, they're blurred, you know, when it comes to being in business and being a creative, a person that makes a living as a creative person. It's, you know, it's not like, it's not like other fields where it's like, I'm going to work now, I'm leaving. Uh, So it, yeah, it's a challenge, I can imagine. So thanks for sharing that. That, that was, that was great. Um, So do you remember the moment when you knew this could become a business? Well, I think the scariest thing I did was when I decided to leave Schaefer Yarn and go out on my own. And I had no idea what that was going to look like. I just knew that it was time for a change and that I was ready to um, do some different things and move on. And I had the support of my family, which was great. And I was pretty sure I could pull in the income I had been pulling in working for them. And I just jumped in with both feet. And I think that the first two months, my income was doubled what it was when I was working at Schaefer, Um, partially because I think people were really excited to support me and they were really excited to see the new things I was doing. And once that happened and I saw that it could work, I just knew that I had to keep forging ahead. And I, I think the really big trick to being a creative person who's also a businesswoman is knowing that I have to constantly be working on the new, like be thinking six to 12 months out, like what does next June look like? While at the same time, I'm getting ready for things that I've been working on for a while that are releasing in September. Um, the mistake that I think a creative person who is running a business makes is when they get so caught up in the moment that they forget to be looking ahead to what is coming as well and making sure that there's a plan for that. So I'm pretty conscious about thinking ahead and being in the present moment. 
Wow. So when you took that leap, how did, how did you know the net would appear for you? Like, was it, do you feel like it was, you know, there was concrete evidence, okay, financially I can do this? Or you, did you feel like there was this belief that you knew you were really, it was time and somehow I know it's going to happen? Like what? I think, I think it had been time for like a year and it took me a while to like get up the, um, get up the comfort level to take the next step. I was fully supported by Schaefer. So it wasn't like that there was any animosity. We just kind of all knew that it was time for me to be working more on my stuff and less on, on their stuff. Um, and it took me a year to get up the nerve basically. And I just had to talk about it with all my friends a lot. And I think it basically got to the point where they were like sick and tired of hearing me talk about like, what would this look like? I could do that. What would this look like? Wow. So, so did you talk, did Schaefer know, or was it, you know, I mean, they did, because I think I yeah, remember we when yeah, we did it beautifully, we did it really well. And, and we did it in a way that there was a ton of time to train people to do the things that I did there. And also it was always so, um, you know, we had such a great friendship that people could call me if a printer wasn't working right. Cause I was the one who did that kind of thing there. Like it was never that they were just left on their own to figure things out. We, we did it very well. It was great. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that, that transparency factor is so important and I, um, you know, just to kind of create that bridge, you know, to your next place, because you're, you were in the same industry. It's like, why not? I mean, you know, uh, kind of look at it from that perspective, and instead of kind of, you know, ooh, I'm going to hide, and then I'm going to jump out there and all of a sudden be doing this new thing. So that that's really admirable. I mean, that that that's a really that that's like great advice for anybody out there, you know, trying to forge this new ground for themselves, yeah. too. We're in a very small industry. Um, and I think it's very important that bridges not be burned, right? Like Absolutely. Done, the, the way that you would want to be treated is the way we treat people. I mean, that's like toddler 101, you know? I totally get it. So, um, you know, I think we touched on this uh, next uh, thing I want to ask you. But, um, you know, outside of your business, how, how does knitting play a, a role in your, in the quality of your life, you know, today in regards to, you know, your overall health, happiness and contentment? Oh, it probably keeps me from stabbing people. Too. <laughs> <gasps> That's um, it. <laughs> yes. I was just joking. <laughs> well, you know what? It kind of, it is a, it is kind of a, a, a stress anger management thing. I mean, it, it like, is. I mean, I, I, it's, it's like, you know, you're kind of right there. I mean, look at the CYC, what the CYCA craft yarn council has it right when they, you know, realize that knitting and knitting can improve your health. And now medical experts have jumped on the bandwagon. Right. Yeah. I think that, um, that what I mentioned earlier about knitting is that knitting quiets my mind and that is not a bad thing for me. I have a very active mind. I am definitely very energetic. I'm a little bit of an energizer bunny and knitting helps me slow down, which is fabulous and helpful and useful and helps me be really present, which is great. Mm -hmm. So it's <laughs> It is. It really is an addiction. It's a great addiction, isn't it? And, you know, knitting also teaches me how to be patient, you know, because I can find myself being 
I'm excited when things are going well, but then all of a sudden when, I, when I'm stumped with something and I can't figure out a stitch or whatever, I might find myself getting frustrated. But then I'm like, hmm, wait a minute. This is a great opportunity to practice patience because the answer will turn around and come back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, uh, another question, and I don't know if you have a quirky way that you knit, but I mean, like, is there something quirky about your style or about how you start a project or even, you know, your, yeah, even if it is the way you knit? There is. I actually purl kind of bizarrely. I throw my yarn, but with my left hand. And um, I teach a lot of classes, both live and on Craftsy. And um, in one of my Craftsy classes, it's like a giant shawl knit along. And I'm knitting along and people can literally follow my hands stitch by stitch as I'm knitting them. And I was teaching at a Vogue class one day. I think it was in L.A., in California, and I noticed that one of my students was, no, sorry, it was in Seattle. One of my students was purling just like I purl, and it's weird. It's like I use my left hand, and I pick up my yarn, and I throw it around my right-hand needle, and I was like, oh my God, you purl like I do. That's amazing. She was like, I learned from you on Craftsy. (laughs) Which was really funny to me, like, oh, that makes sense. And I think the thing with knitting is we all knit in just a subtly little different way. But in the end, the fabric looks the same, which is the important part, right? That our stitches aren't twisted and that our gauge is even on our knit rows and purl rows. But there are so many different ways to get to that same place. And I constantly, if someone looks at how I knit and they're like, oh, I can't do it. I don't knit like you. I love to explain that we all learned how to knit from who taught us how to knit, right? Like mm-hmm. whoever it was your grandmother, if it was your aunt, if it was your friend, if it was online with a teacher, that's who taught you how to knit. And you're going to knit like they know how to knit. And so when you get a room full of knitters together and you all kind of go around and show how you knit, you can notice those differences and sometimes like, point it to a geographical place like, oh, I learned from a Canadian who learned from a Norwegian woman, or I learned when I was an exchange student in Denmark, or my Russian grandmother taught me how to knit. And then you start to be able to apply those different techniques to different areas around the world. And I think that that is incredibly interesting. Oh, that's cool. So, you know, let's just touch a little bit more on or talk a little more about the the teaching gig because you, okay, so you started designing. I mean, I remember following you back in the day. And so you started designing. When did you get into the teaching? And is that, I mean, that takes up, would you say that that takes up most most of your time and, and that's where you put most of your focus? Or are you, you know, more involved on the independent pattern side? But anyway, teaching. I'm interested in, in you know. Teaching. I would say that everything I do is about 20% of my total time. Um, I try to, I have a bunch of different things going and they all get about even energy from me. It seems like I teach a lot. I actually only travel to teach once a month. It's just that some months I'll, I'll travel like three weekends in a row and kind of bang it out. And then I actually just took off June, July, and August from teaching. So I've just had like an absolutely fabulous long break, which was really good to do for the summertime because Ithaca is gorgeous in the summer and it's been awesome to be here. Um, but teaching, I started teaching after I learned how to knit, I started teaching locally 
and really enjoyed it. Part of what I enjoyed was getting out of the house and being with other knitters. And part of what I enjoyed was sharing this thing that I loved so much with other people. And the last thing that I loved was that knitting is like one of the things in our lives that crosses boundaries. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter our political bent. It doesn't matter what our religion is. The knitting is the thing and creating is what brings a group of people together to work together. And I absolutely adored the people I was meeting as I was teaching how to knit, people how to knit, and realized that it was kind of broadening my horizons in a way that I hadn't even anticipated that teaching would do because I was meeting, you know, people who were multiple generations older than me, people who were younger than me, people who had had very different lives than I had had up to now. And it really just like opened up my world um, in a really fun way. And I still belong to a few knitting groups that, that do that for me locally. Um, and once I learned how to teach locally, I started being asked to teach at other knitting stores when I was working for Schaefer and I started traveling a little bit and the more I did it, the more I found that it super energized me and was super fun and also helped kind of keep my creative juices flowing because I was seeing more and more of what other knitters were doing. And then that just has kind of kept growing from there. And then right after I left Schaefer, I was given an opportunity to teach for Craftsy. And that was, um, that was a very good decision deciding to work with them. They've been really fabulous to work with. So that, yeah, that's exciting. I mean, like, so you really, uh, whenever you go out to teach, it's like they're giving you, they're teaching you. It's like yeah. they're giving, they're getting, giving back. It's, it's really, really amazing. And, um, so, and also that you've got this balance, like, cause you hear, you know, at least what I'm hearing from other teachers that sometimes it's hard to balance and they're, they're traveling all over the country from place to place and they don't have time to breathe. But it sounds like you really, you, you figured out a really smart process for yourself because you, you mentioned the 20%, you know, on everything you do so that you come home from a, from a teaching, you know, gig and then you can jump into designing with like a, with fresh eyes, right? It seems like that's kind of what you've got going on. Yeah, I mean, and the cool thing about traveling to teach is there's a lot of knitting time. Not so much when you're teaching. The worst part about teaching is that everybody else is knitting but me. It's always like really frustrates me. I'll like grab somebody's yarn and slap on a few stitches just so I can knit too. <laughs> but the rest of the weekend, like in the evenings when I go out to eat with other teachers or when I'm traveling to and from the event there and or in my hotel room at night, there's always a bunch of knitting time. And oftentimes I can really like get something that's on the needles really far along in that same period of time, which is fun. And um. Traveling when I'm teaching is the only time that I sleep with my knitting. <laughs> I normally do not bring my knitting up to my bedroom because I feel like that's like bringing work to bed, which I'm not into. I don't bring any electronics with me when I go up to my bedroom. Um, but when I'm teaching, my knitting sleeps right next to me. It's really awesome. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a funny un or unusual knitting story to share? Um... I'm trying to think if I do. I, I know I should have had something something ready for you, some great little knitting story. I think the thing that I um, could say that's not, I don't know, it's not that amusing, but 
I think it's important for people to know that expert knitters rip out their knitting a lot, probably more than your average knitter does, because the better a knitter you become, the the more you know how good something can be and the less you might be satisfied by what you have made. Um, so I find that as I am knitting more, I am ripping out a lot. And when I'm designing on the needles, I am ripping out all the time so that I can see what something's doing. And then I change my mind a few times. And um, luckily, I like to knit. <laughs> yeah, good. Well, that's great advice. Yeah, just keep ripping. <laughs> um, so, you know, I want to ask you a few more questions before we, you know, we wrap up. Um, so now, you know, advice for someone wanting to start out, what, you know, what would you get? How would you set them off in the right direction? It's, um, it's a challenging one because the, the playing field is constantly changing. The, um, the industry and the way things looked when I started designing is very different than it is right now. Right now there are a lot more people looking to knitwear designing as a potential career. So the, um, the playing field, frankly, is really saturated. And it can be really hard to kind of find those breaks that is going to um, kind of get your name out there and get your designs out there. One thing I would suggest doing that I think was really helpful for me was not trying to have like a cute name <laughs> as my name. I tried that in the very beginning of my business, but I realized it was really confusing for me, for people, for me to have like a business name and a designing name that was different than my name. It was like more for them to remember. And also that like my avatar needed to be my face mm -hmm. and not my knitting needles, because you're basically kind of building a brand, even though that sounds like a little bit of a bad word. And you want to be simple, like simple is what people understand. So using your name and using your face and making things as the least complicated as possible. Um, the other piece of advice I really wanna give people for starting out, particularly with designing, is to make sure that they take really good photographs because probably you know, 2% of the people who are going to knit one of your designs are actually going to see the design in real life. What they're making their decision is based on a photograph of what you've made, not actually on the piece of knitwear. So if your photograph doesn't show the piece in a way that is going to make somebody else want to have it, then you're going to lose that opportunity. Like you basically have that two seconds or one second of somebody seeing a photograph if as they decide if they're going to click through and look more at it or consider knitting it. Mm. So that's pretty important. That's really good advice, especially for anything that's online, because, mm -hmm. you know, people can change their mind in a heartbeat and X out if it's, you know, there's, they don't get it within what seven seconds or what maybe not seven seconds less than that, but know, visual you like flip through so so quickly you know yeah and it's about the color too I mean you know the yarn it's hard because you can't touch you can't touch yarn online yeah. right so no. it's there's got to be something compelling and intriguing to make someone really want to create that piece exactly. um you know and you got to hustle a little bit uh you know I mean I know some people don't like the word hustle but 
I mean, I think that's what it is. People aren't just going to come to you. But if you make friends with people in this industry and it's a small industry, it's amazing how we are like one big family. I really feel that way. I mean, I, I consider you my friend. I consider every designer I've worked with, other publishers, they're, they're like my friends, you know? Yeah. So okay. make friends, make friends, right? <laughs> totally. So what, what is the best advice you have ever received? What is the best advice is this knitting advice? It can okay. be life advice. It does not have to be knitting because you know what? It all trickles into what we do with our knitting, doesn't it? It does. I'm not sure how this one relates to knitting, but I'm going to say it anyway. The best advice I was ever given is parenting advice. And my daughter was three. And like, seriously, I know we all think that our kids are the cutest kids ever, but my daughter was the cutest toddler ever. And one of my friends was like, I need you to know what's cute when they're three is not cute when they're seven and nine, right? <laughs> so like those adorable little like table manners that they have when they're three and you're just like, oh my gosh, you're kneeling and the food's kind of making it in there and you're just like adorable. Like a seven-year-old doing that is nasty and like not what you want to be eating dinner with, right? So it was excellent advice because it got me to really like look at my adorable person and make sure that we were starting some behaviors and habits that we were going to be happy to live with for the next you know 15 20 years because now she's 15 and she's basically our housemate and what you want to do is raise a good housemate because you have to live with this person and not have them you know have them be a respectful lovely human being to be with day in and day out um, so that is really the best advice I ever got. And it's totally off topic. Well, but that, you know, it could apply to your knitting, like, make, you know, create the behaviors for your knitting, like learn the learn the right skills now, or don't be afraid to, to rip and, and, you know, start over. And if you start, if you always have that mindset, you're never going to be afraid to, you know, start a new project. Right. Or, you know, and I, I <laughs> relate it to design too. I think I sure. think say something's totally adorable and like right now, but is that going to stand the test of time? Is someone going to see that photo in four years and just shake their head and say, oh my gosh, what was she thinking? Or is someone going to see that in four years and still be enthralled by it? Absolutely. See how you turn that around? See, it all applies. <laughs> so, um, all right. So now what about your personal habits? Do you have one, just one that contributes to your success? Like what is that overarching habit that really oh. makes a difference? So my funny one might be that I kind of like whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, and what do yeah. you do with the whiskey? Well, obviously you drink it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> One of my personal habits that is a bummer is that I get really jazzed right around 10, 1030 at night. Like I turn <laughs> back on, even if I got up at six in the morning, like even if I've already done yoga that day, like had a super busy work day, I like wake up and I want to knit and work around 10 or 1030, which is awesome if you don't have to get up again the next morning. Right. That, yeah, that is totally awesome. But yeah, I, I can't but, do that myself because yep, <laughs> yep, in the morning. Um, so I have found and I certainly like not an every night thing at all that if I have a shot of whiskey at night, kind of like they used to they did in Downton Abbey times, right? Like that <laughs> nightcap, it turns me off. I'm like, well, I clearly can't work. So I guess it's time to go to bed. 
Wow. And then I'm like ready for my next day. That is so that that's I mean, hey, you know what? It's I, I like that. And I like your that's quirky, you know, and that's and that is a really and you're honest about it. I mean, like I know for myself, I will tell you what mine is. And I sometimes thought this was kind of lame, but I love coffee. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like we all love coffee, most oh. of us, right? But mm-hmm. I stopped drinking coffee like every morning, like as a habit. Like I stopped about four months ago mm-hmm. and I'm a, I consider myself like a really early morning riser. Like I get up at like four thirty every morning to work yeah. on yeah. other things and knit and you know, whatever. Um, but since I gave up coffee, it's hard for me to like, I looked forward to that cup of coffee and that one, just one cup of coffee got me jazzed. Yeah. That's what wakes me up in the morning is like, I'm excited to go have my cup of coffee. Yeah. So so I'm starting to like rethink that, you know, and my, my husband's sort of like, oh, you're going back to the dark side because he quit too. But, you know, nice. he, but he's like, I don't care about coffee anymore. Like, it's kind of this weird thing. I don't jones for it, but I'm like, oh, that, that really, I always look forward to that cup and uh, you know what I mean? So maybe it's not the, the, the devil. Maybe I need to, <laughs> maybe I need to just have that one cup and leave it at that. Right. And be okay with that. Yeah, exactly. So who, who knows? We'll see. <laughs> so this is great, Laura. Thank yeah. you. I'm, I'm so, you know, happy that you joined me. But can you before we say goodbye? Um, can you, uh, you know, quickly share where people can find you? Sure. It is really easy to find me if you Google my name. So if you like I was saying earlier, I tried to keep it simple. So my company name is Nelkin Designs, so nelkindesigns.com gives you kind of like a landing page for everything. Nelkindesigns.blogspot.com is my blog. I'm Laura Nelkin on Instagram, Nelkin Designs on Facebook, Laura Nelkin on Ravelry. I have a fabulous Ravelry group if anybody wants to check that out. We are very chatty and fun and have a lot of swaps and knit-alongs going all the time. And, um, oh, I guess I've been Instagramming a ton lately. So that's a fun place to follow me. And I'm Laura Nelkin on there. That's awesome. Well, this was great. Thanks so much for joining me today, Laura. Yeah, take care, Kara.